Jimmy, how you doing this week? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I am doing well. Uh, kind of excited to tackle this uh, kind of brief uh, story, this uh, brief serial, two parts, uh, continuing our rewatch of the second series of Doctor Who 1965 we're in now. I don't know if any of those words combined into a sentence. We're going to go with <laughs> it because that's just how excited I am. Nice, nice. Yeah, uh, last week we talked about our first uh, cast departure with Carol Ann Ford uh, vacating the show and uh, Susan uh, staying behind with her uh, new beau, David, to uh, to plant flowers or milk cows or something. I don't know what they're going to do. They were going to rebuilding the earth together. And something I meant meant to mention last week, and I didn't, um, is that, you know, if you're if you were a big fan of Susan, or maybe like you and I have felt that Susan had kind of untapped potential as a character, they're they're still telling stories about Susan. Caroline Ford is still playing Susan in like audio dramas by Big Finish, and like I read a oh. Doctor Who last year that had a, a you know first Doctor story in it. So yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of this character, there's a lot of there's a lot of extended universe stuff that you could go out and listen to. I actually find that very charming. Now, do, do, do these continuations, do they kind of follow off? Because again, I know there's no real official canon to Doctor Who, but you know, like, do, is she with David? Is it kind of following like the kind of chronology that we left her off with? Or is it... Uh, so, I, mean, it, it, I know it's sort of a tangent, but you know, kind of a, yeah. continuing the post-mortem on Carolyn Ford, uh, well, not Carolyn Ford, but uh, Susan. Uh, yeah, explain kind of her role in the audio dramas. I didn't know about this. Yeah, well, so um, some of them actually, I think they even got the actor who played David back for a one they recently did. Uh, and so, yeah, they um, they do have some where you you keep going with her after she parted from the doctor. Uh, and also, they have ones where kind of, there's even a couple about before. Um we meet, you know, before an unearthly child or, you know, Barbara meet the doctor and Susan. Uh, although um, that's one where I haven't read them, but I've kind of seen some synopses and, you know, there is no Doctor Who canon. 
Right, right. There's right. a lot of about that. You know, there's, there's um, you know, it's kind of like if you really like the story, you say, yeah, I like that. And if you don't, you can just ignore it. Kind of those things. Uh, so there's some, and then, but most of them are with the first doctor and Susan and Ian. That's with, and with, with the doctor and Ian and Barbara. Um, you know, just kind of like adventures we didn't get to see while they were all together is the idea. I think that's great. Look, um, it's always fun when a franchise can kind of keep people within the family any way that they can. You know, mm-hmm. you see that yeah. with uh, you see that with Marvel. They keep finding ways to weave people that should sh- should have been long done. You know, like uh, yeah, you know, Peggy Carter herself. Um, but yeah, so that, that's really cool. I had no idea about mm-hmm. any of that. That's fantastic. Um, but of course, we're not here to talk about Caroline Ford's departure um, tonight. Uh, quite, quite the opposite. We're here to talk about the, uh, the debut of Maureen O'Brien as companion Vicky in The Rescue, the two-part serial that aired January 2nd, 1965 and January 9th, 1965. Pretty short. Um, I was going to say, it, it, it's, it's tied for the shortest, right? Um, I don't know if you yeah. get shorter than two episodes and still be a serial. Right. Well, uh, there is one serial that's arguably one episode. <laughs> arguably. And, well, it's actually it's part of next season. Oh, okay. And we'll, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, so there, there are a couple instances in, in, uh, in classic Doctor Who where, you know, whether something is multiple serials or one serial altogether, it kind of depends on your preference and how you wanna, how you want to count them. Well, it's interesting uh, that you bring that up. I don't know if you're about to bring this up. But you, you, on the special features for this, um, this was kind of numbered as part, you know, two parts of a six-part thing. The the next four being the next serial, kind of just to kind of set up the budget and the sets and all that stuff. To your point. Yeah. So um, I, I I don't think most people would consider this as part of the next serial, but it was filmed all together. There you go. As it was one serial. So this one and the next one, which is a four-parter named The Romans, these, these were filmed as like one six-episode block with the same crew and director and stuff like that. Got it. Uh, and so that is uncommon as far as I can tell. Um, well, and of course, because two-episode serials are also very uncommon. Unless I'm missing something, there's only three serials that are only two episodes. And we've knocked we've knocked out uh, one previously from uh, yeah. So this, this is the season. second one. This is the second one. So it's the two serial is not a common uh, length for a Doctor Who serial. This one was two episodes just because they were going to make. We talked about it last week with the Dalek Invasion Earth. They were going to make Jenny the new companion. Then they decided not to. And so yeah, Verity Lambert is. I think I think what they wanted, and we'll talk about Vicky when we get to her. But I think they wanted someone more like Susan's age to kind of, sure. you know, maybe, and yeah, we don't really get to see too much of the TARDIS dynamic with Vicky, the TARDIS crew dynamic with Vicky in this serial, I don't think. And so maybe that's something we'll talk about more going forward. But I, I do think they wanted someone who was maybe a little bit more similar to, uh, to Susan. And that's why they decided to hold off. And so Verity Lambert 
talked to David Whitaker, who we talked about a lot last week, who was leaving as script editor and asked him to write a serial, a short serial, to specifically introduce the new companion. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and that brings us to Vicky, played by uh, Maureen O'Brien. Um, again, I don't have much context as to how famous or popular this character is. I will say a character named Vicky sounds kind of, it's, it's ringing some sort of a bell. Don't know why that is. Um, it could be a false bell. <laughs> um, so I, I will say, because um, I know there's a lot in the special features. I think one of the special features briefly mentioned, like when, like when they're talking about like the early days of Doctor Who, they briefly mentioned Vicky in one of them, I think. Uh, then maybe that's it. So that that could be it, yeah. Uh, any thoughts on the? Um, we can start with the. Uh, well, let's start with the character herself again. Um, we'll dig into kind of exactly what she does and what interactions she has with her characters, if any. Um, but any, <laughs> it's possible she doesn't meet any of our <laughs> anyone. <laughs> um, what are our th- how do you feel about Vicky, um, both in this serial and? Uh, if, you, if you're able to elucidate on it uh, as a whole. Um, if, you I like the hold, if you want to hold back on some of that, that's okay. Just, I, I, yeah, I, I won't go into it, but I'll say I generally, I generally like Vicky. Um, personally, I don't know if you want me to say this or not, but I personally like Vicky better than Susan. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if that's the general consensus. Not that there is a general consensus about Doctor Who fans, uh, because everybody... Everybody comes up to show at it in a different way. They have different starting points, and some people will watch everything straight through. Some people will just watch like the ones people say are good. And so, you know, everyone kind of comes at the characters and the show at a different way. And so, there really is no consensus. But there are things that are fans more or less agree on. And I, I don't know whether or not most people like Vicky better than Susan, like I do. But I personally. Uh, like the character better. That, that doesn't feel like a spicy take. Again, um, yeah, Carolyn Ford left largely because um, this character season um, wasn't doing much. So, you know, uh, <laughs> I will say she did kind of represent a nice burst of energy. I don't know if that's just off of uh, a new actor being on a show for the first time as opposed to someone who was kind of gearing towards the end. Um uh, I will say it took me the it took me the the whole full two episodes to warm up to her. I don't know if that's just because I'm I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm resistant to change in general, or if uh, if it you know because she doesn't have much interaction with the characters we already know. In fact, she doesn't have much interaction with um, there's not many characters in this uh, serial. <laughs> there's like there's not no there's, there's uh, six, six. five. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, no, no, yeah. there's oh, five. five. There's five. Yeah. Yes. Uh, my, 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 well, unless you count the two at the end, I guess that's technically seven, but they don't have any lines. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't count them. Um, it, it, it took me until there's a scene in the second episode that made me kind of go, okay, there's, I, I can see, I can see the pieces fitting together here. But the, so, um, I'm excited to see more of her. Um, I think it's a fun performance. It's a fun idea for a replacement character for Susan. I think, again, in that special features that um, 
which I think uh, has some sort of floofy name like you know, the, uh, planning the rescue or making the rescue or something. It's on daily motion. mounting, mounting the rescue, mounting the rescue. Uh, Maureen O'Brien, I believe, kind of compared uh, compared her to um, uh, Miranda from The Tempest, uh, William Shakespeare, of course. Um, and which I, which uh, kind of makes sense, kind of a, 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 a abandoned uh, abandoned girl but a lost girl kind of stuck in a not necessarily an island but a foreign land that's not her own i mean it might as well have been an island you know yeah she's an island unto herself <laughs> yeah, yeah um, well, beautiful. <laughs> thank you and uh yeah i guess i can kind of segue into um my feelings on marine o'brien um yeah she seemed like she seemed thrilled to be there i felt like she was kind of giving up She's kind of giving her all. And I mean that in a good way. And I don't know if, again, if I'm just comparing that to, you know, the only, the only thing I have to compare her to is Carol Ann Ford, who I thought did the, the absolute best that she could, but it was pretty clear it was probably time to part ways. And I don't know if that's a fair comparison, someone who's on their way out as opposed to someone who's like just starting, but it's there. You can feel, you can feel an energy level shift and, yeah, I'm excited to see more from her. Cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess we, we can talk about. So this is written by David Whitaker, like I said, and this is his second story as a writer, not script. The first one where he's not the script editor. So his first, second story as a writer. Of course, he had written the season one Edge of Destruction, which we both really liked. Yeah. Um, and so he writes, and this is his one, two, I need to count these before we start. Uh, one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So he writes eight total for the series. Yeah. The audience and, likes the counting. Um, I think they, I think oh, they do it more. We got a lot of fan mail about it. Uh, every day. I have, to, I have a fan blocker now. Uh, uh, so this is his second story. And of course, uh, the, it was directed by Christopher Berry. Uh, and Christopher Berry, he has previously he previously directed four of the episodes of the Daleks, uh, the first season serial. So we've seen him before, and including the Daleks, and he directs one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So this is his second out of ten that he directs. So that's and the third will be the next year we watch the Romans because he directed this in the Romans. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and so, but yeah, so he, he ends up directing 10 total. And so we're going to be seeing him again. And so in general, what did you think of the episode and the direction? Uh, I liked it more. Uh, I'll start, I'll start with the writing first. I liked the serial as a whole more for what it represented for the show going forward than I did actual story elements um starts off it's actually a pretty good idea and as far as introducing like a new kind of season replacement you can do a lot worse in terms of creativity than like a girl from the future kind of stuck on a weird planet (laughs) i think that's pretty cool um the problem with it uh the serial as a whole um two episodes is pretty short i know we always talk about um uh, serials being too long, but I, I don't know the actual specific episode length has anything to do with it. It's all about how you use it. And I actually thought, um, for only having two episodes, it's, it still felt like it was kind of 
stretching for time at places. I thought the cliffhanger was a little arbitrary, for instance. Um, and I thought it um, pivoted on a mystery that was pretty easy to predict. <laughs> um, so it was kind of just like a long march to a conclusion that you were pretty sure you already knew. Um, and we'll, we'll talk all about that. But again, kind of a big burst of energy at the end. Um, when you get this uh, great scene uh, between, uh, I believe it's between the doctor and I, I almost called her Susan, but uh, the doctor and Vicky, is he ca- there's a nice threat throughout this um, with the doctor. And I think that is what saves it for me. Um, he goes from this being almost like clinically depressed to kind of finding this new, just kind of new track of life. Um, and it's because of, it's because of this, this new girl to kind of take under his wing. And I like that part of it quite a bit. And I think holding on to that stuff is way more important than the silliness with Coquillen and Barrett and <laughs> whatever, or uh, Bennett. <laughs> um, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that that stuff can be cast aside. I thought that stuff was kind of some means to an end. But the stuff, I, I don't know, I, I thought the um, William Russell is aces in this, <laughs> in this serial. <laughs> I thought I thought he was just great. Hartnell. Um, um, <laughs> okay. That's, 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 the do- no, the, do- the doctor. No, the doctor. I, I keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, I thought William Hartnell was just terrific in this. Um, absolutely, he was. What did you think? Uh, so, I'm a bigger fan of this serial than most people. Okay, um, let's get into it. I really, I really like this one, um, and and I, you know, I feel like this episode was a little bit of a pivot for the Doctor. Um, did you feel that at all? Yeah, I did. Um, I'm not sure if I can quantify exactly why, but something felt it. It definitely felt like the show was going to be a little different from here on, and that may happen every time there's a casting change. But um, it kind of felt like this was a step to a new kind of era. I, I think I suspect you mean for the Doctor himself. Well, a, li- a little bit of both. Um, there's there's a writer. Named, named Stephen Moffat, for, who was a recent writer uh, for the show. Um, and he made a point about this serial, and I can't find it. I couldn't find the quote, but I swear it's out there somewhere. Um, okay. Or he, he basically said this is his most important serial, which is kind of a dubious claim. But his point was this is the one where they, you know, Susan's gone. They've had a break in filming between season one, season two. Here's where they sat down and said, okay, it's time to make the doctor the main character. Hmm. Interesting. You know, because, because when you look at season one, it's really, you know, Barbara, the main character, obviously the doctor and Susan are a big part of it. But, but I felt like even Barbara was the, were the lens in which we saw everything. Right. Right. For the most part. Uh, here. And I mean, I, I'll, I'll try to point this out as we go through the episode here. I feel like we do have that shift where we are starting to see things from the doctor's point of view. And he is kind of taking, taking the lead of, of the action and the story in a, in a way that he hadn't really done before. Yeah, I, also I think was, that's fair. 
and and I, and I think that was Stephen Moffat's point as well. Um, but like I said, I can't find the quote. But I will also argue the rescue, and some people don't necessarily, you know, there's, there's all this talk about whether subverting tropes is good or not. I will argue the rescue is great at subverting the tropes of Doctor Who. Okay. Okay. Um, because I, I think if, even if you even if you look at like the cliffhanger, and maybe maybe I'll try to make my case as we talk about the episode. Um, but and so, but I'll say I, I definitely I definitely feel like I like this episode better than most. Okay. Look, that's totally fair. <laughs> Uh, that'll make it an interesting thing to um, kind of track as we go here. Um, not a whole lot to break down. Again, only being two episodes, and it's a uh, relatively simple story, I think. Um, uh, I, I do see what you mean as, I, as I'm reflecting back on it. Um, this definitely is a story that is dependent on the Doctor's specific worldview. Uh but now that I'm thinking about it, um, yeah, I guess we don't get much of. Um, usually, it's about what um, the doctor already knows, or like what you know what he's seeking to find out. Here, it's like it's almost going off of his feelings. Yeah. Um, and speaking of doctor's feelings, he is very much in them uh, at the beginning of this first part here. Uh, again, ominously titled. The, 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 the powerful enemy um, which we have a very powerful enemy here that one is very straightforward um, yeah. yeah we cut to uh, again the aforementioned crash spaceship which I guess is called the UK 201 um, I don't know if you're supposed to know that but uh, we have uh, the aforementioned Vicky and we have uh, a c- companion friend how would you describe them? Yeah, uh, they didn't really seem very friendly, but companion or yeah. yeah, this is that's Bennett. Survivor together, yeah, Bennett. Yeah, um, and yeah, what's interesting right away is uh, she's very optimistic and almost bubbly. I won't call her precisely bubbly, but she seems like she seems very optimistic. Meanwhile, Bennett looks like he's ready to end it all. He looks very, he's very pessimistic. Um, they're arguing about um, uh, a rescue ship. Vicky's convinced the rescue ship has shown up. But Bennett's like, that's impossible. It's not going to be here for days. Um, Vicky's going to go check out what she saw on uh, their radar. And uh, this, is, this is where we get our first mention of uh, the mysterious monster, Coquillan. Or Coquillian? Coquillian, I believe. Co- uh, Coquillian. They, I do notice they had <laughs> pronunciation varied a little bit, um, especially yeah. between, I think Vicky and Bennett agreed on how to say it. it varied a little bit between our, uh, our main three. Which, you know, given that, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll excuse that because it's not like they were familiar with Coquillian, right? I mean, Bennett yeah, and Vicky that's fair. were. So. So in within character, I mean, they're they're trying to say this name the same way we are. Yeah, no, look, that's fair. <laughs> that's totally fair. Uh, Bennett's saying, "Watch out for Kakillian. He's gonna be back." Um, uh, Vicky radios the ship, and they're like, "Yeah, we're days away." Um, this doesn't make much sense to her, does it? No, it doesn't. So, what could this ship be? But of course, we viewers know <laughs> it's, it's our heroes and the TARDIS. 
and uh, and Ian and Barbara are are you know talking to each other, discussing you know basically discussing the last episode and Susan leaving and stuff like that. And they notice the ship is landing, and the doctor's asleep, and that's never happened before. Something I should mention here, and it's not something I even personally noticed. And I don't know if you did either, but this is the first time because. Something that becomes iconic in the show is the TARDIS's landing noise. And this is the first time the TARDIS makes a noise when it lands. Previously, oh, it's been planned. Interesting. No, I didn't notice that, but I'll have to, I'll have to track it as uh, right. we go forward. Now, and, is, and this, is this noise um, the iconic noise, or is that in flux a little bit? It's in flux a little bit. So apparently, apparently it doesn't quite get settled on until really actually for a couple of years. I think I think it takes like another ten years for them to actually settle on a noise. Oh, Jesus Christ! Uh, at least, but um, I don't I don't quite remember if I'm being honest because I'm so used to the the main noise. Because even though it doesn't, it takes another ten years for them to settle on it. I've also seen like another forty years of Doctor Who, so um, right, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm used to their noise, and so that's something I'm going to pay attention to. Uh, kind of going forward is is trying to check the noise feels different or not um i didn't necessarily notice in this one because i didn't read about that until after we after i finished it uh but yeah this is this is the first time to make some noise though and uh of course um they they leave the tardis without waking them up yeah it's interesting how just like something simple like that uh can imply so much because <laughs> it's kind of freaks out you know, not freaks them out, but they do notice like this is a major behavior change. Usually, the doctor's the first one out. <laughs> right, he's, he's ready to go. Let's explore. Everyone else is like, "Let's go home. Mm-hmm. Let's just get out of here." Not this time. No. Um, uh, and of course, of course, they land. Oh, and the doctor does wake up, and he goes to talk to Susan. That's right. Yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah. See, this, is, this, this is where having someone like Hartnell around really adds a level of gravitas to the show. I don't know that. I'd be curious to see how it maintains as the cycle doctors in and out. Um, I think a less, I, I, it's just, it's just heartbreaking in his hands. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. And I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I think it's easy to argue the show probably doesn't last as long as it does in the hands of a lesser actor. Yeah. Um, Ian does have kind of, <laughs> little bit of an a-hole moment when they're kind of <laughs> discussing uh you know why is he sleeping so much ian kind of goes <laughs> he kind of shakes his hand a little bit to indicate that he's um old and decrepit <laughs> um which is funny but uh barbara kind of points out the more obvious which is that he misses susan <laughs> right um so screw you ian. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, so yeah, Ian Barber leave the TARDIS while the doctor's trying to figure out where they are. You know, they take the rock sample. Mm-hmm. And of course, as they leave, there's a huge, hideous creature stalking them. Yeah, pretty nasty. Um, <laughs> I forget, do we see the creature here, or is it mostly... Yeah, we, we, see, we see the creature. Okay, and... so then I can talk about its, um, its amazing costume. Uh, it does have an amazing costume. <laughs> uh... And I not not to step, not to step on anything because I, uh, but um, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out is it supposed to be like a mask and gloves or is this just 
insanely cheap BBC <laughs> 1960s production? And of course, it, the answer is it, it is the, it is the former. Um, but it's, alert if you decide to listen to this without watching the episodes. Um, but it's it's the former while pretending to be the latter. That's something I really love about the show. Yeah, it, I yeah. mean because. Because you're used to BBC having this terrible budget and terrible, not terrible costumes, but low budget costumes where the aliens just look like they're men in lane suits. Like, remember the the board last last season? <laughs> they just put like skin suits on and a weird helmet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this, how how can I forget the board? Uh, I mean, this this isn't any different than that. And so, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like the with this, David Whitaker is really playing into the expectations of the audience. And perhaps the low expectations a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I will say, I think the fact, again, sometimes production values are such that um, uh, they're creepy. It's both creepy looking and cheap, which actually makes me uncomfortable in a good way. <laughs> um, like, I don't know if making this look better could have actually lost something. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not saying if you make it look better. I mean, you, even though you you can kind of guess what's going on here at a certain point. If you make it look better, it's harder to pull off, I might argue. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so they, uh, Ian and Barbara reach a cliff um, through the magic of 60s video overlay technology. <laughs> they look down on uh, the UK 201 uh, and they're met by this creature who is very ordering. Uh, uh, I think he. I think he demands to meet with the doctor. Right, because they, they they were talking about him. Right, they're, they're, right. Over, they're overhearing their conversation about him. Mm-hmm. So Ian goes to get him. Uh, what, what what happens to Barbara here while Ian goes uh, to the doctor? She gets thrown off a cliff. You what know, an asshole. Surely to her death, right? I mean, oh yeah. Fall off a cliff. Yeah, <laughs> this one doesn't make any sense. All right, I can't because you look at the cliff; it looks like this huge cliff, right? I mean, it looks like it's looking down. You can see like all of the planet, and then <laughs> Barbara just doesn't like even get hurt. Like she's just fine. Like yeah, I don't even know she got scratched. Like yeah, I say like, there's like a little branch on top of her um, yeah. to indicate <laughs> to indicate the traumatic injury she's taken. Yeah. But we're not there yet. We're supposed to think that she's dead. So right, and not only is she "quote unquote" dead, um, this somehow causes an entire cave-in. So now that Ian, no, 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 the cave-in, the cave-in was caused by Coquillion, like he had a laser thing. Oh my goodness! Of course, yes. My apologies. Yeah. Yes, he yeah. shoots, he shoots off with his little laser staff, which is actually kind of a cool-looking prop. Um, that causes the cave-in. Ian and the Doctor are now trapped inside the cave. The TARDIS is stuck inside the cave gives us our you know our couple week excuse for why they don't just take off and leave um but yeah here the next scene is a scene i think is is a really it's a a little it's a small scene but it's kind of built into what we're talking about we have the doctor by himself in the tardis looking at the rocks and he realizes he's on the planet dido uh which later there will be a pop singer named dido which has nothing to do with it (laughs) Um, but every time I hear Dido, I think of that pop singer. And well, she was, she was named after this episode. Oh. I'm sure. I'm sure she was. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But yeah, the doctor realizes he's on the planet Dido. And what, what, I, what I loved about it, he's been here before. He's familiar with it. And it's like, oh, these people are peaceful, which of course goes at odds with what we just saw. And, and they're definitely implying that the Coquillian is what the people from Dido look like. Um, but there's a point where the doctor amuses saying, maybe I could tell Ian I came here on purpose. And, mm. then, and then he realizes, oh, I, no, I can't. Uh, because I was sleeping, uh, but but you you you, we've always kind of talked about how okay, the doctor's not really upfront with with Ian and Barbara and even sometimes Susan. He's you know, he keeps things close to the chest and stuff like that. But I feel like this is the first time we've really seen it as the audience where they really point it out. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Um, and. Uh, you know, now that we're here talking about, I have nothing to add, so I'm gonna. <laughs> I thought you put that beautifully. Um, this element about the planet Dido and its um, inhabitants seemingly being peaceful, but kind of at odds with the behavior we see. Does this kind of feel like a Star Trek episode at times to you? Yeah, I can. I, I can see that point. Um, uh. I mean, it's often a show that was um, concerned with the behavior of the people that they visited. Um, and right. how it wasn't always what it seemed. There, there was always some sort of mystery around it. And I mean, classic Star Trek, of course. Um, right. The, the William Shatner. Uh, yeah, I, I see your point. I see your point. Of course, if um, Star Trek were to, I mean, I, I do think Star Trek probably did have some similar theories. But of course, with Star Trek, the twist would have been this huge thematic thing that's somehow related to what was going on in America at the time. But uh, Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I see your point. I, and, I, and I agree. It, it is kind of, a, kind of a thing that Star Trek might have might have done. And of course, this is almost... When did Star Trek start? 66? Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. we're It's right around the corner. Yeah. And of course, I mean, I don't know the exact timeline these things but it didn't take long for Star Trek to come to to the UK after it aired in in America I don't think and so um, you know people in the Britain and Britain would have been watching Dark Who and Star Trek at the same time potentially yeah um, I wouldn't be surprised if um, I have no idea how much I mean I'm sure there's no crossover but I wouldn't be surprised if the show's kind of informed each other as time went on i mean as both being kind of these slow building sci-fi pop juggernauts um well well i i do know that there's been some crossover in comic books well there you go Uh, and even i think the doctor's been in a marvel comic as well in the 80s or something like that uh so doctor who on disney plus (laughs) yeah So uh, we're cutting back to Vicky, who's been she's about to split from the uh, ship to investigate a noise, but in comes Coquillian. <gasps> and th- this was the scene where I started going, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I think I know where this is going. Because Coquillian pretty much only demands anything from Vicky. We don't see Bennett. He's in, he's, I think they, is, ben, is Bennett like, is he bent late? Is he like crippled in yeah, some way? Yeah, he's, kind of he's supposed. To, the yeah, he's supposed to be like bedridden. Got it. Because Coquillian uh, kind of shakes down Vicky a, a lot and says like, "Don't leave. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go talk to Bennett now." Mm-hmm. 
was like, okay, so Bennett is Cecilia. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the details weren't um, readily available. But there's even kind of a scene where Bennett kind of goes like, leave me alone. And Cecilia's like, no, I'm coming. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, they could have they could have masked that a little bit better, I think. I agree. Yeah. Cause obviously, there's no way to do this, but if they were two separate characters, they would have just shown Bennett <laughs> at that moment, I think. I right, think. well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, most likely. Yeah. But then again, I am a smart-ass 33-year-old now. I'm not a, a, a small, impressionable child. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would have been that astute at the... Uh, as a kid, so I, we can kind of let it go. And again, it's all a means to an end to get right. us, well, to get, us, get I mean, Vicky out of the TARDIS. I will say, obviously, the the show was geared towards kids, um, but it was also supposed to be for the whole family. And so, I, I do think that's a valid criticism. Uh, and I do think some kids would have been. I, I think it's more about like how much have you seen to kind of pick up on those production cues, you know? Yeah, I think I think. I think maybe an astute kid would pick up on like how come the show is not cutting to this character right now, because you know right. uh, mm-hmm. it's a lot like even as a kid um, watching the Jurassic Park movies. Gosh, this might be Jurassic Park two. Um, you start picking up on whether uh, you know a noise or um, some sort of disruption is going to be a fake out based on whether the John the the uh, John Williams score is playing or not. If uh, if right. you play the Jurassic Park music, that's probably a dinosaur. If it's not, it's going to be a cat or something or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, you know what? That, that, that's a good point. Sometimes you can kind of pick up on things being different in a production, even if you're not aware of what you're picking up on. Um, and so it is with Bennett and Kukillian. But we're not supposed to know they're the same person yet. Right. Um, so we're going to ignore that. Um, so it kind of seems like, how would you, how would you describe the relationship Killian and Vicky Bennett. Vicky slash Bennett, of course. Oh, it's definitely it's definitely abusive, right? I mean, yeah, he's, he's frightened her. He's told her all the people on Dido or want to kill them. Uh, she she's gone through a trauma. I mean, she's on this spaceship. All her, all of her family's dead. Like she's talking about her father being dead, and and you know, she's still like clinging to hope, and he's like doing everything he can to like take that hope away from her, even like as Bennett he is, and he's obviously using Coquillian to like scare her. Uh, but even if you didn't know that, Coquillian's obviously someone who's a menace to both of them, constantly threatening them and, and keeping them in line. And so, yeah, I mean, she's definitely someone who's gone through a, a psychological trauma and Bennett's making it worse. Yeah, it's kind of a messed up story. <laughs> it's only going it to get worse. It is. It's only yeah. going to get worse. So Coquillian's like, <laughs> These people that just showed up, they're not here to rescue you. They're here to kill you. And I'm the only one who can protect you from being killed by them. Uh, so be good. <laughs> and uh, don't you lie. <laughs> and then he leaves. And, of course, what do we, what do we find out after he leaves? Well, uh, Vicky, um, once the door closes, pulls away a blanket to find Barbara, who's not dead. She did not die. And... Uh, <laughs> Although Barbara's now a little shaken by the news that um, <laughs> Ian and the doctor might be dead. Um, Although to, Bar- to Barbara's credit, she doesn't believe him. She's like, "Okay, I've heard this. I've heard this before." Uh, <laughs> there is sort of this cumulative effect 
um, in the writing sometimes. Like, you know, they haven't ignored um, the loss of Susan. They're not just pretending it didn't happen. Characters seem to have learned from past experiences. There's even a reference to the Daleks here, which I thought was interesting, not in this scene, I think earlier in the episode, which is cool because it's almost like establishing them as like, like the main foe, um, even though they're yeah. not in this episode. Ah, I thought that was cool. Agreed. Um, this is where we get the story of um, how Vicky and Bennett ended up in the, um, uh, in the, in the, in the clutches of Cotillion here. And it's, Again, kind of a messed up story. Um, I don't know if you want to break it down or if I should break it down. Um, you can break it down. I'll, I'll let you get those. Yeah. Things. Well, uh, the ship, I don't know if they explained why the ship, um, what the ship's primary mission was, but um, once it landed on the planet. Um, the I, think, I think it was just a transport ship. Like, Got I think it. they were just, you know. Got it. Bunch of people like moving to a new area in space. Uh, at any rate, the people of Dido and uh, the crew of the crashed ship, um, a meeting was called between them. Vicky was actually too sick to go, so she stayed behind. And during this meeting, apparently, uh, Kokilian and all of his people killed the crew. Um, when Vicky... Right, there was a huge explosion, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Bennett was basically crippled from like the from the waist down or bedridden as a result of that vicky saved him and ever since then kakillian's kind of been watching over them um for nefarious reasons <laughs> uh that part's a little vague i'm not sure I, i'm not sure i understood why uh what the story why kakillian was supposed to be protecting them now all of a sudden or if it was just a uh you're just like my perpetual prisoners that i feed and keep watch over i i don't know maybe i missed something here no i don't think i don't think a, a reason was given okay. i think it was just kind of like, um i think the idea was this supposed to be like all the other people are dead you're not necessarily a threat to me but if you become a threat to me i, I mean obviously because obviously like, cause the story's a lie and so right you holes in it um but you know in vicky's defense she's gone through a trauma and she's she's fairly young so yep that's fair you know, uh, even if she doesn't understand everything that's going on, you know, she's reacting the best she can, she can you know. Yep. Uh, we cut back to Ian and the Doctor, who are navigating their way through the caves. Uh, we get a little um, get a little insight into the people of Dido from the perspective of the Doctor, who has interacted with them before. And um, how does he describe the people of Dido? Um, he just talked about how they were peaceful and you, know, you could tell he had a, a real fondness for them and obviously Ian uh, and he says that they were peaceful they didn't even know what war was I mean they were they were just the the most inviting friendliest people you could ever meet apparently amazing uh, and they just you know life was worshipped for them they, they couldn't even imagine killing anybody or anything and uh, of course Ian the doctor plodding along when they, you know, they kind of get to a, a narrow passage because just because there was a cave in, so they're trying to go out the back way, I guess. Right. And, and they look down, they see this ferocious creature Man. below them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to describe the ferocious creature? Ryan? Well, how does one describe it? Um, it's not quite as uh, memorable as the slither from the uh, Dalek invasion of Earth, but um, <laughs> I will say that. Um, 
God, uh, yeah, it's almost like it almost looks perfection like to me. Um, yeah, he's like these that. two eyes that are like wide apart, have these little antennas, has this big stupid mouth. Um, <laughs> it kind of looks kind of looks crustacean like to me um but by ways of the whatever 50 pounds could get you <laughs> in, in 1965 for <laughs> you know it only has to get through gets you through two scenes you know <laughs> um my favorite my favorite thing about this creature is the revelation of its name which i won't step on just yet but um <laughs> yeah um most charming this is easily the most charming thing about it um, um, yeah. So, yeah, so there's, there's the sand creature below them. Well, that's easy enough. We'll just stay up here um, right. on this on this ledge that we're at. Um, there's a problem with that with that plan. Uh, and what would that be? Well, Ian accidentally trips a booby trap where he gets boxed in by spikes, and the spikes slowly come out to where he'd have no choice but to be pushed off the ledge. Man, and that is the cliffhanger for the episode. Is Ian becoming a liability to the team? <laughs> it, it feels that way. Well, because it, it, everyone kind of has their different roles, right? William Hartnell's not really physically able to be put in dangerous situations. So that kind of leads it to William Russell a lot of time. And, and, That's fair. And Barbara to an extent as well, but because Ian, his role is supposed to be the quote-unquote man of action, you know, they. I think they intentionally put Ian in those positions so he can be get him Yeah, be the man. Of, yeah, he's got to be an actor. So I, I, I think, I see your point, and I think, I think it's just um, the nature of the trope. Yep. I mean, someone has someone has to put themselves in danger. But mm. but but I do think I do think your point earlier about how this bar felt padded is yeah wholesome, wholesome weight, especially because like. When you look at the story, there was really no place for a cliffhanger as far as like, oh, their characters are going to be in danger. Right. Um, and so it, it kind of, they kind of, that thing did what it was like, okay, I need to put them in trouble. All right, I'm going to do this. Um, right. But yeah, so how does, how does Ian, starting the new episode, Ian, you know, the razor sharp, Spears are slowly coming at him. He's going to fall into the pit with this monstrous creature. How does he get out of it? Well, they they get the spikes to retract. I, I admit to not remembering how they do it. Uh, episode two called "Desperate Measures," of course. By the way, um, and this is quite this is quite indeed a desperate measure. Um, yeah, jog my memory. I didn't write this down. Uh, if I <laughs> sorry, <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. So, so if I'm not mistaken, don't they just like take Ian's coat and like lay it on him and then Ian like crosses over him and then they go oh, back. That's right. Yeah. I think they go back like the booby trap back in place. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, if, sure. this, yeah. if this were not a uh, series of half hour episodes, this is like a one hour show. Um, this part would be streamlined into like an action sequence or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, it seems barely interested in the uh, in the retracting spikes, <laughs> which is just as well. Um, it's yeah. over quickly. Um, <laughs> uh, then we cut back to um, Barbara, Bennett, and Vicky. Uh, Barbara and Bennett have now been formally introduced. Um, 
He's, he's, called, he's called off the bed to meet Barbara. Um, so he can yeah. move, but he's clearly supposed to be crippled. Yep. But they have a plan in order to get Kukillian out of action, um, which involves using Barbara as bait. Kukillian will come out. Vicky and Bennett are going to shoot uh, Kukillian with this gun, this amazing gun that they, uh, <laughs> they just happen to have. Um, Bennett, for reasons unbeknownst to us, doesn't want to do this. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> no, they just, he just formulate a good defense saying, um, we take out Kukillian, we're going to be uh, dead in the water uh, by the remaining Dido people who are just going to come and kill us. Which makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, so, yeah. 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 Fair point there, Bennett. Yeah. But of course, you're, what, what... you're clear for now. Yeah. What yourself, counselor. Oh, <laughs> uh, and what what happens next, Ryan? Okay, so, um, Vicky goes outside. Um, this the the, the big dumb crustacean creature has uh, found its way out of the cave. Didn't get its, didn't get to have lunch by eating uh, the doctor and Ian. So now it looks like uh, it's turned its sights on to uh, Vicky. Barbara sees this, grabs the gun, shoots the creature dead, like, right between the eyes. It's gone. Uh, expecting Vicky to be grateful or happy. Um, but she's not, is she? Oh, no. She's upset. This creature was actually no threat to anybody. It's a vegetarian. Its name is Sandy. <laughs> um, name is and he... Sandy! <laughs> uh, and, and even... Even um, you know, Vicky had been like, "No, don't shoot!" Before uh, Barbara, Barbara shot, and I, I love this twist. It I is mean, so good. You rarely I see mean, Barbara made to be a fool, but it is so good. Well, I mean, and 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 go to the point. Like the whole cliffhanger of the previous episode was based off. Oh no, we don't want to be stuck in this pit with this monstrous creature, right? I mean, that's, that's vintage Doctor Who one hundred and one. Like, creature looks monstrous and must be a problem. But no, it's, it's like a fucking dog. Like, it's... This is a pet. Like, nothing would have happened to Ian if he had fallen to the pit other than maybe, like, a, a scratch. But judging by Barbara's lack of injury from falling off a cliff, Ian would have been fine. Uh, it, you know... It, it, it kind of feels like a Josh Whedon-type of plot twist. And, like, it, here, it here's something that looks threatening but is not. Yes, or like uh, one of my favorite ones from Buffy was about uh, the Halloween episode, where like they summon the, the monster, you know, and like like you see the picture of the monster in the book, and they summon him, and they see him, and he's like an inch tall, and it's <laughs> like actual size, and he's like step on him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is much the same way, although here it's like they killed a completely innocent creature. They did, and it, it's crazy, and like. But they, they built it up. They made it a cliffhanger. For the, this thing's a problem. So you're, like, in Barbara's frame of mind when she's killing this thing, like, panicked. And in Barbara's defense, I mean, she she's had to act fast before to, to deal with things. And, I mean, I feel like Barbara in the first episode might not have done anything. But after dealing with the Daleks and the board and trying to yeah. get out of ancient Aztec and the Reign of Terror... You know, her being a bit trigger happy makes sense for the character, especially with how tense everything is with Coquillian and everything. Yep, that's totally fair. <laughs> I love it. Um, the doctor and Ian have now arrived um, to, to kind of an awkward situation. 
Um, the doctor- Which I did think I, I did think it was interesting to give the characters this conflict with the new companion. What do you think of that? Uh, yeah, um, and this actually gives uh, a little bit of something that um, was kind of alluded to, but not quite dramatized up until this episode. Um, Vicky doesn't kind of she doesn't like being told what to do by people she doesn't know. Mm. She has yeah, a little which... bit of an independent streak to her. Um, you know, the, doc, the doctor and Ian start coming up with a plan to, like, let's catch Cotillions because something's off about this guy. And Vicky's like, hey, everyone, leave me alone. I don't even know you guys. <laughs> yeah, which, like yeah, which is fair. You know, it, it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she still doesn't, I mean, she, she's befriended Barbara, but she just killed her goddamn pet. <laughs> um, yeah. How do don't I know kill my pet. I'm happy about him, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think it's an interesting way to bring them in uh, via conflict as opposed to, um, you know, being immediate allies. Um, so this this leaves um, the Doctor and Vicky. I said the Vicky, but of course the Doctor <laughs> and Vicky to um, you know, talk to each other. And um, I think this is kind of the setup for um, the scene I think sold me on Vicky. We're not there yet, but... Um, Get, getting let, getting them the chance to uh, feel each other out, I think, is a good move, especially since the Doctor is the one that's kind of in crisis here. Um, they're going to go talk to Bennett, but of course, um, uh, Bennett's not there. Well, it, it, he, like, the Doctor tries to go in, and he has like that, you can't go come in, go away. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um... Uh, but yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, then Doctor, of course, goes in, and what is he? He finds nothing there, and he what? even finds yeah. Go on, sorry. The Bennett, Bennett. I said the Bennett again. Mm-hmm. Everyone's just the Bennett, um, the Doctor, <laughs> the Vicky. Bennett has sort of um, devised a kind of a Ferris Bueller-y, uh plan to cover up his absence because <laughs> there's this, 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 this shockingly this. Uh, this repeated line of his that he keeps saying the exact same way uh, isn't coming from him live. It's in fact coming mm. from a tape recorder that the doctor <laughs> discovers, um, which I find very funny. Um, it's practical <laughs> and it makes sense. I just find it very funny. Yeah. Um, so the doctor notices that he finds an intercom system. And I also think he discovers a trap door. He does. Which and I love the doctor. Does he go off back for help? Hell no. He goes. No. He goes right down that door. Um, so, uh, we should jump back over. Um, Barbara does vouch for Vicky while the doctor's digging up trouble. Barbara does try to speak up and defend the doctor and go, "Look, this is if there's anyone you can trust, it's him." Um, you know, he's and this is kind of where the um started becoming charmed by Vicky because um, this is a very fun scene where uh, Ian and Barbara basically say, hey, we're from the past. We can time travel. Yeah. Um, they have so much fun with ooh. each other in this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's a great scene and you, you kind of see Vicky kind of let her guard down with them a little bit too, which was nice. Yeah, this is kind of a pivotal scene. And again, they only have like 20 minutes to work with here. So I actually thought the writing here was pretty good in terms of character stuff. 
Um, but we've gone from Vicky being like, everyone leave, leave me alone. You can't tell me what to do. To now, she's, I think she's hooked here. But um, you can, there's some healthy skepticism here. She doesn't quite believe them about their, their time traveling ship. Yeah, but this, I think the story is so intriguing. And again, I think this is the first time it really dawned on me that we are solidly in the future. Um, it's like the year 2395 or some, some unfathomable number. <laughs> um, right. Which I think is really, really interesting. Uh, I don't know how much that dynamic gets played with um, during her tenure, but I think it's a fascinating... I mean, they could have easily made her present day or even from the past. I think making her in the future is just so intriguing. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And uh, that's obviously something we'll, we'll be tracking. Uh, because with, with Susan, they really didn't take much advantage of the fact that she was this alien with alien knowledge of other things and civilization and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but we'll see if they do that with Vicky. You know, they got a fresh start now. That would be fun. So the doctor you know, travels through the trap door, finds himself in kind of this temple area, and this is kind of where he puts one in. Um, well, I think I think he had already done that, but yeah. Um, and I actually think the way he stands up to Bennett here kind of speaks to the doctor's innate humanity. Like he is pissed. It's revealed that the rope, uh, hat, hat, the, the mask, and the gloves that Coquillian and such Bennett has been wearing. Uh, are ceremonial garbs, and uh, he kind of says "f you" for wearing these, um, which I think is yeah, cool. he's pissed. Yeah, um, the, the doctor's kind of a humanist after everything. I mean, they're not there's no humans involved really, except for perhaps Bennett. But I think um, like these people, you put them through enough, and now you're going to take their religious garbs and wear them to keep murdering. Um, so this is where we re- revealed the, uh, the real truth. Um, uh, before the, uh, before the ship crashed. <laughs> well, do you want to explain Bennett's, um, the, well, so Bennett's basically he's a murderer. He's a murderer. He killed Vicky's father. Uh, they imprisoned him. And so he knew he was facing life in prison if they reached the settlement. So he, so when the, the people from Dido accepted the, the people from the ship and they got together and had a celebratory feast. Uh, Bennett just blew them all up. And, um, you know, hurt himself in the process. He pretended to hurt himself in the process because Vicky wasn't there and he decided to keep Vicky as his companion in a state of fear. And also because he needed like a witness, to, like stand up for him, you know, to verify right. his story. Uh, and of course, Vicky didn't know, or did wait? Did he murder Vicky's father, or did he murder Vicky? He murdered somebody. Uh, I believe Vicky's he father. Murdered, I believe he murdered Vicky's father. Was Vicky's father? Okay, yeah. And so, uh, and so, you know, he kind of called in the rescue ship, and um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, and just. You know, his his plan was to, to escape and look like a hero instead of going to jail for the rest of his life. So he's he's unbalanced because he just killed a bunch of people for an alibi and yeah and and stuff like that. And so he um you know the doctor tries to take a staff so we can kill him. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah he just take Bennett down. Of course, Bennett struggles with him, and 
kind of a cool fight sequence here. You rarely see the doctor right. in like not hand to hand combat, but certainly um, object combat. Like he's, they're throwing stuff at each other. Bennett's trying to choke the doctor, which is an astoundingly bad look. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised at how black hearted they made Bennett here at the end. Um, it's pretty dark. Yeah, and and that is the thing about I think at least about this era of Doctor Who. Um, there's a lot of darkness that they don't dwell on, I think. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, like, it's, it's there, and you, and you have it, but because it's supposed to be a family show, they don't stay there necessarily. You know, they, right, they, they, they don't they make a big point out of it. Right. All right. So let's, so, uh, let's wrap yeah, how this up. Result? So, how, yeah, how does the result? Um, well, it turns out he didn't quite kill all the Didodians. Um, just two appear uh, kind of out of nowhere, and... Basically, like, take him and carry him away. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's not the long and the short of it, unless I missed that, it. Yeah. No, they, they didn't really set it up at all. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly <laughs> how you set that up necessarily, but they, they, they it, it, it did feel like a little bit of a, I'm not going to say, I never say this right. Deus De- Machina? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I mean a little bit. I mean, not literally, because... Yeah. But it, it, there was no, there was no setup to it. It was just like, and eh, the doctor saved by these two guys who never seen before. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I, and I should have, yeah, I should, I should have meant. I said take him away. Actually, what happens is they kind of back him off a cliff. <laughs> you know, I, I will say it wasn't quite clear. I mean, you, you kind of hear him screaming as they were dragging him away, but you never really see him thrown off the cliff. I didn't think. Yeah, um, um, the only reason I say that, that's uh, according to uh, TARDIS.Fandom.com slash wiki slash da 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 But this says we also crazy. know that on planet Dido, falling off a cliff is not a fatal incident. <laughs> right. So, yeah, no, I think he saves him and puts him under a blanket, I think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> will, we, will we be seeing Bennett again? <laughs> Hold uh, your breath for that one. Um, uh, perhaps not. Um so that's that's kind of it. Um, the the doctor, Ian and Barbara, they're all back in the TARDIS. Um, Vicky is outside, well, and uh, this kind of leads. Well, us well, to not not quite yet, right? The doctor's talking to Vicky, and Ian and Barbara are talking about how they shouldn't invite Vicky along with them, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Vicky's not in there yet. Um, right. but I think the doctor kind of becomes sympathetic to her plight. Of you know, gosh everyone she knows plus her dad was, was like murdered she's orphaned on this place that is not her own time i think this is the scene that made me go ah yes i get it and i like it um this kind of resolves kind of sleepy funk that uh the doctor was in he kind of sees another young ward he can kind of take under his wing someone who uh uh, he needs as much as um, she might need him, and uh, I thought it was a really lovely way to kind of resolve. You know, they kind of very easily ignored the season thing and just brought in a new character, and um, you know, just plugged her in and uh, went on their merry way. But I think they uh, took the time to earn it a little bit here, and it's almost like by the doctor vetting her, like she's vetted for me, and now I'm cool with her. I don't know. I think again it speaks to the. Uh, mm-hmm speaks to the writing and the performance of Hartnell there. I agree. And here we get the first time with the, because when the Ian and Barbara joined the, the team, the doctor kidnapped them because he didn't want anyone knowing 
his secret and he was just hiding out. Here, he tries to convince Dickie to come with him. You get the first time the doctor pitches to a companion, hey, come join us. I'll take you, what do you say, this, this ship can go everywhere in any time or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. and, yeah, and so he, uh, you know, yeah, 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 the first time where the, the doctor's cordially inviting and trying to convince someone to join him. Yeah, and that's kind of a nice, significant change. And one that I think is only for the better. <laughs> um, two quick notes before we're done here. Um, the Didodians destroy like the, the homing, homing beacon so that I don't think that rescue uh, ship is coming anytime soon for the UK 201. Which kind of puts a nice dark cold button on that story. And of course, we get just the briefest of uh, setups for our next one. A, a post-credit scene. Uh, except <laughs> said this before the credits. Um, so a pre-credit scene. Um, the TARDIS has materialized on the edge of a cliff. <laughs> oh no, it's a literal cliffhanger, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, there's more of these than I remembered. But this time, the TARDIS is the one falling off the cliff. Yeah, and you get some nice, again, kind of um, Shatner-era Star Trek kind of moving around. <laughs> while they can- It's, you know... <laughs> It always yeah. works. <laughs> it always makes you laugh, so you yeah. that. Must have been a silly day on set. I can't ever imagine doing that with any dignity, but <laughs> it works. Um, and that's the rescue. Yeah. Uh, one more note I want, I want to say. Uh, yeah. The second episode in the rescue got 13 million viewers, which is more than the Dalek invasion of Earth God, which capped out at 12.4 million. There is a delightful moment in the special features. Uh, I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Where the guy who played Bennett, uh, <laughs> Ray Barrett, um, basically cackles with glee over this fact to the point where um, whoever put this special feature together uh, interlays Coquillian's face over his face. <laughs> 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 this is so odd and so strange and so dangerous. Yes. Yeah, it's um, like the highest rated yeah. episode for a long time, wasn't it? That's what, well, uh, actually, no. It's, um, no. Right. <laughs> it's there's going to be a higher one later this season. Uh, ah. But it is it's, it is higher rated than the Dalek episode we just watched, which was the highest rated thus far as well. And so I think... You know, why was this one higher rated than the Dalek episode? I think people were interested in seeing the new companion. Sure. You know, I think, um, you know, we, we talk about the reasons why the show is still on the air six years later. One of them's got to be, you know, people hate change, but people are also excited by change. Well, I, I think, think, yeah. You, you express that a little bit too with Vicky, because you're like, you're excited to see her, but at the same time, you're hesitant to accept her. Right. Well, I think just having that publicized departure from the show is kind of good for ratings. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised this is not a similar show in any other way. I wouldn't be surprised that the highest rated episode of Two and a Half Men was the episode after Charlie Sheen was fired. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because yeah, you're like, what, what are they going to do? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think controversy can sometimes hurt a show, but it can sometimes help a show, absolutely. Yeah, And it helps that, of course, this is pretty light controversy. <laughs> um, I wouldn't even call it controversy. It yeah, I don't think it's a controversy. Yeah, that but, um, yeah. yeah. But, in, but in this case, it, it is a big change, and there's a lot of hype that came around with it. 
uh, or at least some hype that came with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see what happens next. And right. what is coming next, Jimmy? Well, next up, we got a, f- a four-part serial called The Romans. And so um, I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying this is our first historical of the, of the new season. Uh, of course, last season we had Marco Polo, the Aztecs, and the Reign of Terror, and also an earnestly child is arguably a historical with the cavemen. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's a bunch last season. This is the first one of this season, the Romans. And of course, that could be anything, right? The Romans, there's a lot that could be covered with the yeah, Romans. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you have any guesses, Ryan? Do you have any guesses about what, what do you think is going to be, what they're going to be covering here? Uh, well, I th- uh, the party discussed the, uh, the makings of the candles. And uh, uh, gosh, um, no, you got me. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a pretty might, broad might, one. Might, might, the, uh, might the creator of a certain uh, salad be appearing? <laughs> Uh, perhaps, perhaps. Hmm. We'll have to find out. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, that does it for uh, the rescue. Oh, gosh, we got way more material out of that than I expected. Uh, speaks to the power of either um, this show or our, our uh, verboseness. Um, but either way, maybe like, mix both. Huh? It's a little maybe. healthy mix of both. Uh, either way, if you guys liked what you heard, uh, guys and gals, um, we welcome any and all. Um, you know, uh, rate, rate us five stars on the, uh, the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, heck, rate us three stars, two stars. We, um, yeah, yeah, we respect honesty. It's all right. Um, other than that, we'll see you next week for the Romans. Uh, I'm Ryan. That's Jimmy. We are the pop culture historians and, uh, Oh, life lesson. Um, look, um, don't dress up like a creepy uh, alien in robes that aren't yours, that are some uh, ceremonial value, and act like a jerk. Uh, you may end up thrown off a cliff. And also don't murder people and try to commit genocide. Yeah, guys, guys, don't commit genocide. <laughs> Just don't do it. It always seems like a good idea, but it never makes, <laughs> it never makes you feel better afterwards. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Important life lessons here. Yeah. All right. See you guys next week.